My name is David Langford, and I'm currently the president of Ingenium Schools in Los Angeles. Today, I'm with Pat Napley at uh, Ingenium Charter School. So welcome, Pat. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So Pat has a really interesting background because uh, similar to mine that she was in quality kinds of things before she came to Ingenium. So let's start there. So what does that mean that you were in, in quality? Uh, well, after I came out of college with my art education degree, I did go into teaching. I'm embarrassed to say how long ago that was, but it was in the mid-80s when there started to be a movement away from the arts in school towards math and science and this new thing called computers. And so I was actually laid off after a year of teaching. There mm. were two art teachers in the school. One was there 30 years. I was there a year. So last hired, first fired. Mm. And unfortunately, because the whole state of Pennsylvania, which is where I'm from, uh, was in this new uh, kick for math and science and computers, I, there were no other art teaching jobs unless you went into a private school or something like that. So I went into retail, and I, was, I managed two art supply stores. And then I was a window dresser. Of course, it's called a visual merchandiser, but I did that for a <laughs> while. But the retail hours and uh, my husband as a, in public accounting, uh, we never saw each other. And so I wanted to get a more traditional Monday through Friday, nine to five job so that my husband and I could actually cross paths once in a while. So I actually went to work for a leasing company, a large leasing company in Philadelphia. And I went into customer service because I had a retail background and I was in management in retail um, I went from a customer service rep to a customer service supervisor, then to a manager, then I was a director of a whole unit, and uh, that was when we just started to hear inklings of this thing called TQM. <laughs> and shortly thereafter, we were purchased by a Japanese bank. Uh -huh. And of course, the Japanese had already been through uh, the total quality management movement with uh, Dr. Deming, and so it was only starting to come to America but this was the early 90s, and there was a big push. Um, Six, Six Sigma, TQM, right. the ASQC, I, I was a member. I, and so I did a lot of training. And what happened was our company decided they needed to reduce processing time, improve customer satisfaction, improve productivity, reduce costs. And so they pulled three people to form a team we were pulled out of our mainstream duties. I was on the customer service side as the director of customer service. Somebody came from the, the credit management side, people who were credit analysts who did this all by hand, and somebody from the collections side. And we were kind of put in a room for about seven months with um, the guy who was our boss was on the IT side, very early IT of that time. And we were charged with... Um, improving all of those metrics um, with changing things and especially with automation. So nowadays you say to people, what's your credit score? And people know what that means. But back then, all of that was done by hand. Mm. And so now we needed to automate it so that businesses could understand how they were approved or declined in terms of credit to get a lease. And it was very intense, but so rewarding to immerse ourselves in studying processes down to every minute. We tracked how every minute was used. We created flow charts. We showed 
we interviewed every employee to talk about what they did and when they knew it was going wrong versus when they knew it was going right. We surveyed customers and vendors, did customer satisfaction surveys. So we had to distill a lot of data, a lot of information. I, I thought when I started studying it, the most attractive thing was the de-emphasis on the individual and everything was on the process. Absolutely. So. Actually, that was pretty much an eye-opener. Um, when it did seem that there was an individual that was a special cause, it came down to training. And so we could take it back and say, well, if they didn't understand the process as part of the system, yeah, so that was a deficiency in training. Yeah, people today don't realize, because this has actually become much more mainstream, that it's, you know, to look at the system instead of the people. But back then, it was, if you had a problem, you fired somebody. Exactly. And so, <laughs> and especially in something, now this was a rather large company that had just different regions um, of customer service. And so then we started looking, all right, well, wait a minute, why is this this team that services the Southeast, for example, why do they have better metrics than, say, the team that was servicing New York City? And so it was great to study all of that um, over the course of that time. And what happened was we put together a huge plan. Our, this team, we were called the Operations Task Force, OTF. And we put together this huge plan with, with like 10 or 11 major recommendations to the president of the company. And they adopted pretty much all of them. <laughs> and, and that led to automated credit scoring, which we now, with Fair Isaac Company, the FICO score, but for companies. And that sped up the process. Just anybody who's ever bought a house and you're waiting to hear back from the realtor, do we get the house, do we get the house? Mm -hmm. That waiting is horrible. Or you're putting in for a loan and mm -hmm. you wanna hear from the bank, did we get that loan? So we knew that turnaround time was the biggest indicator of customer satisfaction. Not even whether you're approved or declined. Of course, everybody would like to be approved. But once we distilled down what is it that makes customers most dissatisfied, it was the wait time. Mm -hmm. And so by improving our processes, automating what we could automate, and improving our turnaround time, customer satisfaction shot way up, which means vendor vendors were more likely to use us as a leasing company because they were more satisfied. And so. That was a big part of it, knowing your customer and what it is they really want. You think you know because you're in an industry for a long time. You think you know it. But until you really dig deeper and find out what really drives satisfaction. So bringing all that thinking to Ingenium. Yeah. And so we, st we started with enrollment and really started studying enrollment. And what you just described is exactly what caused our enrollment to shoot to maximum capacity for next year. We never had that before. Yeah. And we just really analyzed, you know, that communication with the customer and the touch points and put together a really good enrollment team and it's really worked well. So. Well, it's be, it changes what how people perceive education. If you think of education where the child, the student is the customer, but that really isn't true. It's the family, the parents are the customer. Uh, they are entrusting their student to you, but they're the ones, especially in a charter school environment where they have the opportunity for choice and they can go to any school they want. They can go to their local school if they're satisfied with it, but if they're not, they're the one who makes the choices. And so you really need to talk to that customer, the parent, and say, what is it that you're really looking for? I always say that students are part of the system, and the product we're producing is not students, it's the learning that goes on. So you want students working with you as a team to improve the product, which is learning. Exactly, and, and taking that paradigm shift from parents are looking for their students to get A's because I do not believe that's the case. 
parents want their students to love learning so that they want to come to school every day and the parents don't have that battle oh mommy I don't want to go to school they want their kids so excited to come to school and so how do you create that environment where a kid doesn't want to miss it yeah so so interesting because every parent says what you do at what you do at school today yeah and the kids say nothing that's that's the message that they get exactly exactly so, so Fast forward from my years in business, I, I eventually became the total quality director for the whole organization. I reported to the Japanese management and the president, and my job was to take things that seemed to come from the ivory tower, like the mission statement, the vision statement, and distill it down to all the people who actually did the frontline work. And I said, well, it really has to come from the frontline. They're the ones who have the major touch point, just like teachers here are the major touch point to the families. It has to come from them. They're the ones who have to embrace it and be a part of it. And Absolutely. So it took some time uh, for that big shift to happen, um, but it was very rewarding. We put together teams of employees. I'm going to say cross-cultural, but it was you know somebody from accounting, somebody from sales, somebody from customer service, whatever, that would sit down in these teams, and they would, without any fear, because that's a big thing, drive out fear, right, mm -hmm. is to – identify where there were gaps in excellence. Everybody wants to do a great job. Students right. want to do a great job. Teachers want to do a great job. Management's role is to break down the barriers that would prevent anybody from doing that great job and having pride and excellence in their work. And so that's what my role was there. My husband got transferred to California. So mm. I had to leave that job and we came to California in 1996 and I was a stay-at-home mom for a few years. I had a one-year-old and a four-and-a-half-year-old. And fast forward, we moved to North Carolina, and that's how I got back into teaching because my son's private school needed subs for when teachers were out. And so, so I- you, you just flipped back and forth I, across the country. I, I did flip back and forth. <laughs> I, and Charlotte, North Carolina is, was a lovely town um, and great place to raise kids. Um, and so I actually, I subbed for eighth grade algebra, which anybody who knows me knows that is not a fit. I do not have that side of the brain. Um, but it, that was interesting. But the best part was, uh, unfortunately, their French teacher got into a car accident, broken elbow, chipped some teeth, all this. So she was out for a whole week, and I got to sub in French. And I have had nine years of French, and I'm uh, fairly conversational. So that was a great fun. But what it showed me was I missed being in the classroom. Mm. And as much as I value that experience I had in the corporate world, I just miss being part of that whole dynamic of seeing the light bulb over kids' heads when they get a concept, right? So how did right? business Wonderful. and French and all that segue into being an art teacher? Well, my degree is in art ed. I, oh. I, um, I have a teaching credential in art education, K through 12. Um, it was just the dynamics of the society at the time where arts were being de-emphasized. I got out of it because I needed to make a living. And when I came to California the second time after North Carolina, 2001, my kids went to a local school district, Las Virginas School District, which borders L.A., and I became the art teacher there. So mm. I was the elementary art teacher at my student, at my kids' school, which was super fun. And I taught second through fifth. And that's when I said, okay, this is where I'm meant to be. This is my sweet spot back teaching art. And interesting side note, one of our ELP um, leaders was one of my fourth grade students <laughs> back then. Isn't that crazy? So she's 21 now. Anyway, she was one of my fourth grade students. And so she still can't call me by my first name here on <laughs> campus. She still calls me Mrs. Nepley because she sees me as her fourth grade art teacher. So um, I, I taught until they went on to middle school. 
And then I was offered another job in ministry. So um, bringing my managerial experience with my uh, love of being with kids and learning. So for six years, I ran a children's ministry at a very large church. And I had a staff of seven and a volunteer corps of about 200. And we served uh, about 425 kids every weekend. And so it was a again a large organization there was pedagogy involved it was a little different but um making sure that for that hour they were there each week those kids um had an environment where they'd say to their parents i want to go back to church each week right which is always a struggle and so some of the same kind of concepts how do we make this the best place kids can be all week um while i was in that job i got a call from a friend who was a, a film and television producer and he said pat we want to put together art curriculum for homeschool families. Would you be interested in doing that on film, on DVD? So I did. I wrote curriculum for homeschool families, and I filmed it. Wow. And, and, um, and so I have two sets of DVDs. One is called Art Projects, and it's 36 distinct lessons so that homeschool families can just pop in a DVD. Cool. And then another, and another year called Art Projects. Wh- and, what's, um, what's a DVD? Hmm? What's a DVD? Oh, what's a DVD? <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway, so this was like from 2010 to 2014. So I did that for um, I did that for a period of years, and even though it was in front of four cameras, it showed me that I missed being in the classroom yeah. again. So my job in ministry had me a couple steps removed from the kids because I was in management, um, and I just missed it so much. So. I loved creating the curriculum. I loved sharing my excitement and my love for art with students, but I wasn't getting that immediate feedback of the kids being excited about a project. I'm looking through a camera. And even though we got emails saying, oh, we love your product, or we love the lessons, or we love Miss Pat, it just wasn't the same. Mm -hmm. So I decided I needed to get back in the classroom. And so I looked for a position, but unfortunately in LA area, elementary schools don't have art teachers. I mean, it's very rare. In fact, some middle schools, including the one we co-locate with, don't have an art teacher. And so finding a job as an art educator um, was a little challenging, and I knew that the best place to go would be the charter schools. Mm-hmm. And I was a really big proponent of the charter school movement, and I had studied it quite a lot and believed in that mission of offering parents school choice. And since a charter school has that kind of autonomy, to decide what's important to them in terms of how what they present in the classroom. So that's how I got hooked up with Ingenium. I answered an ad, <laughs> and I came here. And at the time, Ingenium was only in its second year. Ingenium Charter was only in its second year. So the enrollment was, I'm going to say, half of what it is now. And so it wasn't enough for full-time. So they were trying to figure out how they – and I needed a full-time job. And so they said, hmm. And so I said, well, you know what? I also taught chorus. So my first year here, I taught art and chorus. So I was the arts specialist. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I taught art. And Tuesday and Thursday, I had students for chorus. And we put on a a winter concert. We put on a spring concert. And so that was great. And every year has been different. So my second year, we had a middle school now co-located here. So I actually taught elementary and middle school art. But I didn't have a classroom. I was art on a cart. So I I was art on a cart. So we had to figure out how to make that work. And then the third year, anyway, every year's been a little different, but that's okay because part of the mindset of TQM or even continual improvement is that things aren't going to be static. They're not going to be the same. Every year you have to adapt to make 
you know, to pursue excellence with whatever the conditions are then. So when I came along and started talking about dimming and quality and all this, it was like deja vu for oh, you. Oh, yeah. But, it was, <laughs> I, but I was cheering because I knew. And it's not a flavor of the month thing. And that's the other part of this because having been around the block a little longer than a lot of the other teachers here and being in a, you know, doing my student teaching in Philadelphia, right, a big urban school district, and then teaching in a suburban school. And my kids went through both private and public school and religious school. And then, um, so I've been in a lot of different environments. And uh, I've seen where, you know, this year our emphasis is on reading and literacy. And then this year our emphasis is on, well, if you really are embracing uh, total quality, it's not a yearly, it's a forever attitude. And that can be a huge shift yep. for a lot of people. And especially if it's not coming for the schools that teach teachers, right? If they're not hearing about that, then they come out of their teacher training and uh, it feels so incredibly different from yeah, what the they were prepared great for. thing for me is that the Ginium was always into Baldridge and had that kind of a thinking, that kind of a path. So it was easy for me to just come in and just sort of move it to the next level. Yes, so exactly. That's been really fun. So, um, so tell us a little bit about art here. Well, uh, I see every student in the school. So that's a lot of kids, a lot of names to remember. I usually get it by the last week of May <laughs> when I finally remember everybody's name. Um, so in a way, that's great that I see every student in the school. Everybody knows me. In a way, it's kind of difficult because unlike the relationships that a teacher, a core classroom teacher has with her 28 students, I don't have that same kind of thing. It's impossible to get that with 440. Um, but for me, my focus um, is not on product. It's on process. So I want to make sure these kids have experienced new materials. They might have crayons and markers at home, but I want them to experience collage and watercolor and oil pastel Absolutely. and chalk pastel. Yeah. To me, it's just the experience of a either material or a technique. There are some skill development. Drawing is a skill like any other skill, so the more you practice, the better you get. It's just like playing tennis. I mean, I couldn't hit a tennis ball over the net, but if I had a great instructor and a lot of opportunities for practice, I'd get better at it. Same thing with drawing. But also scissor skills and adapting from gross motor, which they have when they're the little TKers, to more fine motor skills. I have expectations of my fifth graders and their craftsmanship that's going to be more stringent than what I would have with mm -hmm. the younger grades. Sure. So it's something that develops over time. And so it's just a trajectory. I love that the, there are some students that I've had since they were in kinder, and I now have them in fifth grade, and I can see their skill development. Well, some people that are listening to this might be wondering, you know, how, how do you do this in a non-graded environment? Mm. Because I've talked to people that they just don't believe that kids will work hard if you, unless you're grading them. But No, I, I, first of <coughs> all, it, you have to make the content accessible and engaging. And so that's something that I really work hard on. And, and even after, the, the good thing is, because I have multiple classes of the same grade, if I try something with the, my first class of the day at 8 o'clock and I see, ah, oh, that thing didn't work, I tweak it and I change it by the time I see the second class of that grade. So I'm constantly doing an assessment to say what can be tweaked or changed to make it even better for the next time around. Mm -hmm. It could be as simple as how materials are passed out, or it could be... Um, how I explain a certain drawing aspect. Do I do it up at the whiteboard or do I do it at the tech desk or do I do it around the demo table? So it's 
um, opportunities for improvement happen every day, all the time. And getting that feedback from the students about which worked best. Absolutely. And um, I tried something. Uh, I had to do a quick fill-in lesson because one class was behind the others. And so I did a quick cartooning class. So I asked the fifth graders to mark on the parking lot before they left. I said, tell me, what did you think about that uh, little cartooning class? Because we don't have opportunities to do there's just these little one-off things. Most projects are two, three, four weeks, and then they get the finished product. And they loved it, right? It was an opportunity to have instant success. So um, I, I'm, I'm not intimidated by a non-graded environment. I, I see kids who really want to put their best effort in because of the pleasure it brings them. It, it's, it's really something I want them to have pride in their work. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm not as concerned with product as I am with process, but I try to encourage the kids, especially when they say, I can't. I can't do this. I say, well, you can't do it yet. Yeah, but good. with some practice or if you need some help from me or ask other people at your table, you'll be able to do it. You just can't do it yet. Um, so it's, I try to make it just a, a fun place that kids don't want to miss. I mean, that's really my focus. So how did you get over the hurdle? Like you mentioned the parking lot and you're getting feedback from your students. And so I know a lot of teachers – that when they start down this road of improving quality, they are very, I've had instances where they're insulted that kids give them feedback. So you, you just seem to do it effortlessly because it's part of who you are and what you do. But what would you tell people? Um, well, I like I like hearing from the kids' perspective because they, they might think of something that I, I, look, I'm way older than these kids, so I don't live in their world. And, and so from their perspective, if they say to me, this is too hard, I want to understand, well, of course it's easy for me. I'm, I have a trained degree in art, right, and I do my own art at home. I'm an artist at home. So I need to understand, well, why? Is it is it something about the physical capability of the material? Is it... Is it something more cognitively of the way I've explained it? Is it because of auditory processing or is it a visual thing? So I want to understand. It's part of the differentiation process because if it seems to be working for, you know, 22 in the room, but there's two who say this is too hard, I need to understand, are they a special cause? Or is this something that I can change that will benefit the group? So, so that's why I'm asking. Uh, in in closing, give us a vision of what we should be working for with art in Ingenium schools. Mm. Well, of course, I want every school to have an art specialist. Our middle school has a fantastic art teacher, Mrs. Nitchman, and um, I love being here. And I know that they're trying to do a lot of things where they use art to enhance core subjects as an in integration in some of the other schools. Um, um, so our teachers are very creative anyway, so I really I love that. Um, but I think, especially in Los Angeles, this is a very visual city, visual culture. This is where the movie industry is, uh, the major animation studios, um, lots of the gaming, the big gaming companies are here in suburban L.A. And so the arts are, are, is a job path for a lot of people in this town. And so it behooves us if we're going to create um, – lifelong learners who look at the world where they don't necessarily have to go into accounting with math or something else that they need to see that there's an opportunity for them and that the arts are part of that and so that's why I'm of course I'm such a big proponent of the arts and I think when you start young 
I understand that high schools might have aren't, but by the time they get to high school, kids are pretty fixed in the way their brains mm-hmm. are. I, I, w- I want to have kids that have some left brain and some right brain, and they need to stretch in both sides of that brain. And so that's why music and art, I would love to see that there'd be music and art and maybe even drama in every school so that kids have an opportunity for both visual art and performance art because I think it just stretches them, grows them. And also for those students where my little sweet spot is, for those students who may not be the shining stars on the academic side, Mm. they have an opportunity for success here that they might not have recognized anywhere else. So they can go home feeling proud of the work that they did. I want kids to leave feeling like they have been successful in art. It might not look like anyone else's, it might not look like the sample, but they are proud because they were successful in that process, and that means the world to me. So, well, thanks, Pat. I, I know this is your lunchtime, and you need to get some lunch. So, <laughs> yeah. that was a fantastic story, and you told it so well. You must have lived it. Well, <laughs> I did, and like I said, I'm not afraid to talk in, in front of an audience <laughs> on camera or whatever. But um, I'm very passionate about sharing art with kids. Um, and I love when they get just as excited as I do, which is why I love to take kids on field trips to art museums and things like that. And for some of this community that we serve, our underserved community, this might, their exposure to art with me might be the only time they have it. And I'm very aware of that. Um, and so I just feel like it's, uh, it's, it's the place I need to be at this particular time. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we're very, very lucky and very fortunate to have you here and uh, hope you're going to be here a long time. So. Well, thank you. I look forward to it. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening and join us for our next podcast on the Ingenium Podcast Series. like to learn more about Ingenium Schools, you can go to our website at ingeniumschools.org. That's I-N-G-E-N-I-U-M schools.org.